Hey everyone, welcome to Because It Is. We are here talking about all things social work and faith today, which is my favorite subject. Yeah, so who better to bring in than our very own associate pastor of social work, but Kevin Pernato. It's me. He's on the podcast. We also brought the boss along today to help us with our interviews. So welcome back to the podcast, Preston. <laughs> hey, thanks. <laughs> today we are gonna be talking about faith and social work. And which leads to me doing math in my mind, trying to figure out how long Kevin's been here. And it has been six months. So half a year with a social worker on staff. Congratulations, you've made it this far. Thank you. How long does it feel, Kevin? A year. <laughs> That's all. That's good. Double. Um, so we are, I think, as far as we know, we're one of the few or only churches in Arkansas that has a social worker as a direct part of the pastoral staff. Um, and that was a conversation we had for a long time and a decision that feels like forever ago. So Preston, will you remind us, why did we make this decision? Why did we want this position on our staff? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I'm really proud of the position itself. Uh, and I'm proud uh, I guess, doubly proud of Kevin in the position. I think uh, this is something that we dreamed up several years ago. And I think for me, there's two separate um, sort of motivations for the position. Uh, one is very practical in that our church is one of the few churches in Arkansas, I think that can honestly say we're a raw urban church. Uh, we are in downtown Little Rock, um, not far from the bus station, um, and our church sits directly in between three high-rises of subsidized housing, di different niches of subsidized housing. So to go looking for human need is not something that we have to go looking for. Like it, it knocks on our door, it sits in our pews. And so um, one of the prompts, I guess, for this position is just the practical realization that there is rampant human need surrounding our church. And when I encounter, you know, homeless folks, people on the streets, I'm often encounter, encountering mental illness. I'm often encountering addictive process or someone in acute human need that I, and I think most everyone else on pastoral staff and everyone else in our pews feels ill to under-equipped to actually tangibly help, right? <laughs> like, what do I do in this situation? And so I felt a very practical compulsion uh, to do better ministry and have someone on staff at our church, not to do all of the work, but to help train our people to do the work. Uh, so I think our, our address is one reason we have a social worker on staff at our church. And in that way, it's a very practical thing. The other reason is more theological, and it's that we as a church want to practice the whole gospel of Jesus for the whole person. And that means not just, not just shepherding souls, as important as that work is, but also tending to 
bodies and systems and resourcing people in ways that make a tangible impact in their very lived lives on Tuesdays and Fridays, uh, not just Sunday mornings. Uh, and to address the whole human and meet the needs of life, we really needed someone who could help us do that. So for reasons practical and I would say more theological, it made sense to us to hire a social worker on staff at Second. And it's been a beautiful thing to behold. I think we've not yet scratched the surface of what all this can and might be uh, over the years. Um, so yeah, that, that was the motivation behind hiring a social worker on pastoral staff at Second. And I'm really stinking proud of that. I feel like we say multiple times a week how glad we are there's a social worker on staff. So feels yeah. like it's already been a really great decision. It's definitely an umbrella position at second, right? Like Kevin, Kevin ends up with a lot of things on his desk and he probably rolls his eyes every time we say, we're really glad there's a social worker uh, at second. Um, but I'm really glad there's a social worker at second. And I'm really glad to be here too. So Kevin, that's, that's why we asked, uh, why, why did you say yes to such a position? Um, what, what about this do you find uh, captivating? Yeah, well, it's not lost on me how rare of an opportunity it is to serve as an associate pastor of social work. Such a job title like rarely exists if it does exist. And um, I think that it's just such a beautiful position um, where you know, there's so much need in the community um, that's beyond the walls of the church that the church can help address, too. Um, the church, of course, is not limited to a building, but, um, it, you know, the church goes out into the community. We go out into the community every day. Um, people who sit in our pews goes out and live their lives, go to work, school, tend to their families. And... Um, to be able to shift the narrative of their lives of being able to do justice work everywhere that they're at, um, being able to be helpers and um, take part in kingdom work um, is just really exciting. And as a, in college, that's when I felt my call to ministry um, and I didn't really know what that meant. Um, and I stumbled into the field of social work and, um, realized that as my calling into ministry. And so have always, um, felt drawn to faith-based spaces and, um, always knew with the firmest of convictions that the church is the place where justice needs to start from. Um, I believe that, um, God is using God's church in order to bring forth um, this new vision, this new reality of um, of living. And so um, to be able to, to practice social work in a church context, um, to be able to help equip people 
um, and mobilize people to do this exciting work of pursuing justice in the community um, was just something that I had to say yes to. I think one of the things that makes my heart sing the most in listening to you talk about that is that for you, you didn't have to choose between social work and ministry. Um, social work is ministry, and your position allows you to do that. Mm. Um, I'm grateful that a church like Second makes that possible. Um, not just the position itself, but the concept and the work behind it. Uh, and I'm really glad that that for you, that choice uh, is not one that has to be made. And I hope that that's more and more the case for more churches. Absolutely. So I think that's what we're here to talk about today is the intersection of faith and social work, um, how the church and social workers uh, can come together and work together, how um, our spiritual health and our mental health go hand in hand. And we're excited um, about our guest today. Yeah, so I am super excited that we have Dr. Holly Oxhandler as our guest on this podcast today. She's a great friend and colleague of mine. Holly Oxhandler is an associate professor and associate dean for research and faculty development at Baylor University's Diana R. Garland School of Social Work. For the last 14 years, Dr. Oxhandler has studied and developed tools to assess mental health care providers' integration of client spirituality and treatment, helping professionals' infusion of their own faith in their work and clients' views toward discussing their spirituality and mental health care. Holly has written extensively for top professional journals within social work and psychology, and her research has been featured in the Washington Post, Religion News Service, and more. She's also the co-host of the weekly podcast CXMH, a podcast on faith and mental health, and, and is the author of The Soul of the Helper, Seven Stages to Seeing the Sacred Within Yourself So You Can See It in Others which is a fantastic book. And we will be discussing that later on in this podcast. So I'm really excited to have Holly here. She is smart, intelligent, super compassionate, um, well-grounded in her spirituality as well. And I'm really looking forward to getting to hear more from her. Well, let's get into it then. Let's do it. Welcome to Because It Is, a conversation about faith, justice, and other things that matter. This podcast is hosted by Second Baptist Downtown in Little Rock, Arkansas. Second Baptist is a vibrant, historic downtown congregation whose faith compels us to seek justice, care for the oppressed, and pattern our lives after the way of Jesus. We are a unique Baptist church that prioritizes diversity and inclusion for all. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Holly Oxhandler about her book, The Soul of the Helper, and about the connection between spirituality and mental health. Dr. Oxhandler is an associate professor and associate dean for research and faculty development at Baylor University's Diana R. Garland School of Social Work. We also interview Dr. Oxhandler and our own associate pastor of social work, Kevin Pernato, about the intersection of church and social work. Holly, it is so good to have you on our podcast. Um, not just just because you wrote this book, but because of the person that you are, um, personally knowing you from the Garland School of Social Work, um, you are intelligent, you are grounded in your spirituality as well, and you challenge students to 
pursue wholeness in their social work practice, which I appreciate so much. Um, so it's such an honor having you here speaking with us today. Oh my goodness, Kevin, thank you so, so much. It is really a privilege to get to be here with you and with Brittany and, um, and Preston. And I, I just, your generous introduction, it just, um, was not prepared for such a beautiful <laughs> intro. Thank you. I really appreciate being here. And I'm so grateful to be connected with you and the ways that you serve our school on our board of advocates and through teaching and all the good ways that you serve others too. So thank you for well, having me. I am so proud to be a part of the Garland School of Social Work. Mm. Um, so yeah, always enjoy being connected. Um, so you wrote this book, The Soul of the Helper which has been life-changing, um, a mm. continuation of what I learned in school. And I think it'll be super helpful for a lot of people at our church and beyond. Um, yeah, it's already totally impacted me as well. Um, mm. so thanks for that. I uh, can't wait to share it with our church. Yeah, we have a lot of social workers Ooh. who attend our church. And, and even more helpers. A lot more helpers. Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> This will be great. Thanks yeah. for talking with us about it today. Yeah. Will you, I know that you and Kevin have a longstanding relationship, but I'm getting to know you and I'm glad to be able to do that. Will you tell me and the listeners a little bit about what led to this book and how you got to the words on these pages? Yeah. Oh, that's a, I love the way that you phrase that question. That's beautiful. Um, yeah, I have been doing research on the intersection between um, spirituality and mental health for the last 14 years or so. Um, certainly I talk about it in this book about ways in which my own personal journey, um, just as a fellow human being, um, kind of led me into my interest around that intersection in the first place. But as I was doing this research, I, I mean, and this work was mainly looking at how mental health care providers were paying attention to the area of um, religion, spirituality, and faith of the client in which they were serving, because we know that when that area of clients' lives are included in mental health treatment, they tend to get better faster than if it were ignored. And so I was doing this research with these mental health care providers, but as I did this work, I got to a point at which I realized it is not just for mental health care providers, but that it is really for the everyday helper in whatever way they are serving, whether as um, parents or faith leaders or teachers or volunteers. I mean, the list goes on in terms of the ways in which each of us serve others, um, our families, our friends, our communities as helpers. Um, and so that's kind of what I think initially got to this, the point of writing this book and realizing like, I could no longer not write this book. It really needed to be written. There was a, there's a certain point, I think, in the life of a writer in which you realize if I don't write this, like it is going to die within me. And I cannot let that happen. It has to get out. I have to steward this. And so I spent about um, three years wrestling with this book and writing it and deleting and writing and deleting and editing. And, um, and until you, it got to the point in which, you know, y'all it's, it is where y'all had read it. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm very grateful for that wrestling. And for oh, the thankfulness well. to steward those gifts. Thank you. Yes. I love well, you. Thank you. 
yeah, I love how approachable <laughs> this book is for the general reader. Um, and its implications are, you know, for every helping profession from physicians to nurses to yes. counselors, teachers, even. Yes. Yes. Um, so I'd love to hear more about, you know, why is this integration of spirituality important? Um, you talk about the grounding, how spirituality grounds us. Um, mm -hmm. And um, if we serve out of that state of groundedness, um, we become better helpers. And mm -hmm. we are also better able to um, integrate um, our full selves in the helping process and to, to um, really get into the, the core of the person that we're helping as well. Um, and yeah, if you could talk a little bit more about that integration. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate hearing y'all mention the accessibility and the the degree to which it's really approachable because that was at the heartbeat of, you know, why I wanted to write this book. I didn't want I wanted to get it out of the academic um journal spaces and get it to the everyday helpers. I wanted to translate this research to make it accessible. Um, recognizing that it is relevant for each of us in one way, shape, or form. So that importance around the intersection of spirituality and mental health, some of it I just alluded to that, you know, when we integrate clients' faith into mental health treatment, they tend to get better faster. But there's also the recognition that most of us identify as spiritual, or we actually even see that a majority identify as religious, but even more of us across the United States identify as spiritual. Mm. And in fact, um, about over three quarters of the U.S. adult population say that religion is at least somewhat or very important in their lives. And over 90 percent of us will turn or say that turning to our religion during times of struggle helps us through those difficulties that we navigate. So our faith is something that's really important as we are trying to wrestle through the human condition and figure out what it is that we need to, you know, how we cope with it. Now, at the same time, I want to, you know, mention that in a lot of ways, our faith can be something that we lean on to cope in um, positive ways through our difficulties that we navigate through life. Um, you know, maybe we're wanting to partner with our higher power through situations and struggles, or maybe we have, um, you know, just different ways in which our spiritual practices, as Kevin mentioned, they ground us and they give us that, that sense of grounding, even though there's so much that's going all around us. Right. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I recognize that there are ways that our faith can be a source of pain for us and ways in which we've struggled. Maybe we've have been like, where are you, God, through those difficulties in life? Um, or maybe we've been hurt by our faith communities um, throughout the course of our life as well. And so all of that, I think, is really important when we think about the, how our faith intersects with our mental health. Hmm. So I'll kind of shift a little bit. Now, in talking about our mental health, um, you know, NAMI talks about one out of five of us are currently struggling with a mental health condition. But we actually have some research that shows that over 80% of us are going to meet criteria for a diagnosable mental illness by the time we are um, a young adult or middle age. Wow. So even though, yeah, it's 
Yeah. So even though, um, you know, we talk about one in five and, and we kind of throw that statistic around, the reality is over four out of five of us are going to be struggling with this at some point in our lives. And certainly each of us are walking alongside someone who's struggling or receiving treatment for mental health struggles. or And, and those can be tied to um, genetic issues. They can be tied to circumstantial issues or trauma that we've navigated. Um, there's just a lot of things that contribute to our, our mental health and well-being. And so that's really, again, where that intersection between these two matters so much and, and why it's so important, not only for the mental health care providers to be paying attention to the client's faith, but also, you know, a lot of the work that, that I do as well is talking with faith communities, which y'all are doing this, um, but paying attention to the ways in which our mental health is a part of who we are as whole people it, along our spiritual journey. Um, and so, so yeah, so the book, it includes a lot of practices that help ground us that kind of come back to that intersection and serve both areas of our lives. Um so I hope that answered your question, though, and kind of going at, you know, that that intersection in general. But yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Can I, I spent the book kind of wrestling, too, with when our spirituality causes harm. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes our 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 church community or our spirituality mm-hmm. community can cause harm. Sometimes our um, theologies within our spirituality mm-hmm. can cause harm. Can you talk a little bit about. I mean, we know that I think we can all, at least most of the listeners on this podcast will be supportive of the idea that our religion and our spirituality form and shape our mental health. Mm-hmm. But I think also several on our podcast will can say that our religion and our spirituality can also play a detrimental, have a detrimental aspect on our mental health. So can you talk a little bit about, about that and how we kind of go on that journey together with those two things hand in hand? Yes, absolutely. That's a really good question. Um, and I think it's it's an important one because we do oftentimes talk about the ways in which our faith is a positive and and, and good source of support. And, and it is for a lot of folks, but we can't bypass or neglect the ways in which it's been a, a source of pain for a lot of folks. So, you know, this can look like um, again, some of that, uh, some negative religious coping strategies, which Ken Pargament writes a whole bunch about, but that can look like wrestling with God again and being like, where are you in this? We're feeling like you've been abandoned by God and, and having to navigate that journey and that experience, um, or feeling like some, um, some kind of evil or negative spirit or the devil or whatever you want to call it, like that, that caused something to happen. Um, That could be part of that wrestling. There's also ways in which folks have, you know, like I mentioned, like they've been hurt by their faith communities. Maybe they had a faith leader who said some pretty hurtful things from the pulpit and, you know, and, and hooked it on as being like, well, this is what God thinks about this, but it doesn't align with, you know, perhaps the congreg the congregants experience of God or, or their experience of life. Um, you know, I've certainly heard my fair share of faith leaders talk about mental health in ways that can come across as bypassing mm-hmm. or just, or telling congregation members like, Oh, if you just prayed more, if you just read the Bible more, if you just did your spiritual practices more, then, then those mental health symptoms will go away. And you know, we we wouldn't, we would not say that about a broken arm 
mm-hmm. or about a physical ailment. Like um, we're not going to just only rely on our faith practices. They can help provide comfort during those um, seasons, but we're not going to solely rely on those. So that might be a a couple of different ways, certainly ways in which, um, you know, faith communities can inflict shame on congregation members or folks may feel a sense of, and I don't just mean the faith leader, I mean, individuals within the faith community, right, who communicate a sense of like, you are not worthy um, because of X, Y, or Z um, in a way that just that can, again, it just causes a lot of shame and sense of, of not belonging, not being worthy, not enough. Um, and that can really hurt a person's faith journey, to be honest. And compounds our mental health. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. These two areas of our lives are so complex and interwoven. And for us to think that we can tackle one without the other is, um, yeah, it, it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Yeah. So what a good, such a good reminder. Um, cause it's so easy to chase after one or the other, um, without remembering how intertwined they actually are. Yeah. We're so yeah. used to compartmentalizing our lives, mm. aren't we? And I think that's kind of what we've done with the sciences too, is mm. just compartmentalizing, you know, social work from spirituality, from mm-hmm. faith that, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and now you're trying to to weave them back together or to to show us that they are woven together already. Um, yes. yes. And um, yeah, so I also like this namaste theory mm-hmm. that you um, share with us in this book. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's so practical and so mm-hmm. useful um, mm-hmm. for us helpers and. Um, thinking about how we slow down and how we steady ourselves in this helping process um, mm-hmm. to be the best helper that we can be for yeah. people. And I think this has huge implications for even like caregivers as well. Yes. Um, oh my gosh. Which yes. There are so many of right now. Mm-hmm. Um, can you walk us through a little bit about this namaste theory? Um, I want people to get the book, so um, <laughs> you don't have to share too much. Um, I think. No spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. So, um, yeah, so I, this, this theory that you mentioned, so namaste theory, it kind of bubbled up from doing this research, looking at the degree to which mental health care providers were integrating their clients' faith. Um, and what I found was that the more deeply motivated these mental health care providers were to live out their own faith, they tended to be, um, to have more positive views and actually integrate their clients' faith more frequently within uh, mental health treatment. And so this Hindi term, namaste, kind of came to mind. And it was a term that I was very loosely familiar with, but I really wanted to honor the origins of the term, the, um, you know, the cultural roots of this term. And so it literally translates to mean, I bow to you. But as I read more from authors within that tradition about the, the term, um, I came to understand that it really does have the spiritual underpinning within it, that it's not just I bow to you, but that the sacred within me recognizes the sacred within you, or the image of God within me honors the image of God within you. 
And so this really brought order to the work I was doing, especially as I was thinking about it for helpers and realizing that it's not just that as a mental health care provider recognize the sacred within themselves, that they're more apt to seeing it within their client, but that it's, again, it's for each of us as helpers that as we serve those around us, as we are more intimately connected with the divine within us, we see it more clearly and we're better positioned to be able to see it more clearly within those around us. Mm -hmm. And that's so important so that um, as we are helping and caring for others, we are not doing it from a place of hustling for our worth or seeking that sense of power and control or affection and esteem or security and survival that um, Father Thomas Keating writes about. Um, we're wanting to make sure that we're really serving and doing what is ours to do rather than helping in a way that, as, as we each know, can sometimes hurt people, um, right? So we really have to pay careful attention to that. So, so the second part of the book, does have these seven stages and I won't, I won't go into them in great detail, but just as an umbrella statement, these seven stages really do wake up the helper um, to the speed at which they are operating through life and the ways in which we are oriented to go, 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 go um, to then slow down, which can be very difficult for many of us um, so that we can then be still and that stillness is crucial so that we can actually see the sacred within us. So we can actually see that divine spark and the shadows that are threaded within us too. And the things that, um, you know, we may not be proud of and we may have been avoiding in our hustling in ways of go, go, going. Um, but once we see, we can't unsee and we can then shift with compassion toward ourselves and those around us to serve from a place of abundance and serve from that recognition that I am beloved as I am. I don't have to do anything to earn that. It's already prepackaged in me. And so from that place of discerning, what is mine to do with that awareness um, I can then better serve those around me in whatever unique ways that God has equipped me to serve those. So that's kind of the whole arc from namaste theory to those seven stages and, and how they're connected without giving too much away. Um, I will say there's lots of practices that I talk about within those seven stages to support helpers along each of those stages. Cause it's not just, okay, go do these seven things and it's a linear process and it's all done and rainbows and butterflies. Like it doesn't work that way. Um, it is, it is messy. It is complex, but we get to show up to the gift of our lives through this journey, um, and, and learn and identify better ways to serve others as we serve our own souls as well. Mm, yeah. We talk a lot about tuning into ourselves in the school of social work. Mm -hmm. And I think this book really, causes us to mm -hmm. tune into ourselves you have all these discussion questions at the end of every chapter mm. and then all of these seven stages require a lot of introspection mm -hmm. um like yeah. i need to know that i do need to slow down and to realize yeah. when i am running off fumes and um that's a hard thing to do sometimes to mm -hmm. to just take the time to tune in 
to see how your soul is doing, mm-hmm. see how your mental health is doing. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you for challenging us to, to do that. Um, to I also think you, you come at this for a helper. We need to be doing something because we're, we're helpers and we have this agenda, right? Yes. And so there's yeah. almost something, I guess, maybe tricky about your book in that, um, you're playing mind tricks with us, right? In order for me to be a good helper, I've got to slow down. It's yeah. <laughs> it's actually yeah. kind of brilliant. It motiv- It's a motivating book, I think, because mm. it's reminding us that, because we all want to help. And so when you remind me that I can't give more than I have, I can't love more yeah. than I love myself. I can't give more than That's I've given right. myself. Then all of a sudden I have an extra motivation even if we got to work on where the motivation's coming from and that's what your yeah. practices are doing in the book which is great but it's a really good start I think to remember that we can't give more than we have um, mm-hmm. or that we've given ourselves and and then when you start getting into it I've, I read it um in preparation for this conversation and then I'm looking forward to like the slow work yeah it, and I feel like yes. it's the kind of thing that comes back mm-hmm. probably every helper needs to pick it up every year or even more mm-hmm. often um a continuous reminder um to keep these practices the reflection questions are are brilliant and um oh, really cause you. us to to go within and i'm excited to share this with with others as we begin maybe to even reflect together all of us helpers um out there which that's is awesome. most of us i think around here so yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you both so much for those very kind words and um, just for your time and willingness to spend with the book, because it, I really do feel like this, you know, when we do this work and it is work and it's not just head knowledge work, it's not just emotional work and it's not just embodied work, but it's all three areas that we need to be engaging in and thinking through Mm -hmm. and living into and wrestling with. And, um, but it, it, it it results in, I think, work that is better attuned to those who we are trying to serve. Mm-hmm. And I think it also aligns with like, I have a line in the book where I say that I think God grieves when we burn out mm-hmm. because I, I, I think a lot of times helpers, there's, there's that gold, gold star that you get for like burnout. And it's like, no, 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 you don't, there's no accolades for burning out. And in fact, I think God's like, no, I didn't make you to burn out. I want you to steward the gift of your life and do what is yours to do as you serve others. So, um, yeah, I, I, I hope you, you know, enjoy it, Brittany, when you read it back through that second time, I know that I do the same thing with, um, with books and Kevin, I'm so grateful that, you um, had picked up on what you had shared, you know, as you read the book. So thank you both. That's a good word. Well, let's switch gears um, and talk a little bit about why we do church and social work. All right. I'm excited now to have Preston with me to interview both Holly and Kevin about social work and church. So I'm excited to talk to y'all, but let's start with the big question. What in the world does social work and church have to do with each other? That is such a good question. Kevin, do you want to kick us off on that one? Well, sure. (laughs) I think that social work and the church have always been connected. Um, 
I'm in the middle of doing a one year reading of the Bible through the Bible right now and reading Acts and just how immediately when the church was started, they were basically doing social work, <laughs> taking care of each other, making sure that needs were being met. Um, and then as we go through church history, you see the church taking part in social activism. Um, there was a social gospel movement where um, people were, the church was concerned with um, the needs of people in poverty, people who were experiencing illnesses all around. Um, you know, the church was the one creating hospitals in America and who were working with um, children who were orphans. Um, and so the church has really been involved in social work since its inception. Um, and for some reason now um, in 2023, um, we hear you know, lots of churches afraid of the field of social work, afraid of the term social justice, um, which is core to our profession. Um, but I think that the church um, has historically and still continues to be um, a place where justice and rightness is um, pursued. So... <laughs> Yeah, Holly, what do you have to say? Yeah, well, I think you did a beautiful job giving that overview, Kevin. Um, I I would just add maybe a couple of things. One, I, I do think that both social work and the church, you know, both are seeking to serve their communities to the best of their abilities. And I think in so many ways, there is this natural and beautiful connection between both fields and how they serve others, recognizing the humility that, you know, both areas are, are trained in certain, um, in serving in certain ways. And that, you know, we always want to pay attention to that, but historically, you know, as Kevin was mentioning, there was a lot of overlap between social work and the church and even social work. Some of its earliest roots are within charity organizations and, and faith communities. Um, we also know, too, that, you know, I think some of the separation happened historically when we began to see um, some folks within psychology and related disciplines having some uh, apprehension about religion. And because of that, move away from uh, religion and that skepticism of religion um, and more of a focus on the medical model and making sure that everything we do has research to support it. That's kind of where social work stepped a little bit away from the church and where the church kind of stepped away from social work. But it really has just been within the last, I would say, 40 years or so that we really have seen much more intentional efforts to start building these bridges again between these areas. Um, and I, and I think it's been, it's snowballed to be even more quickly, like we're starting to see it happen even more frequently within the last like decade or so we still have a ways to go, but, but that's a little bit of the historical piece. So Holly, you mentioned building bridges. It, it does seem to me that some of the, the perceived animus between these two fields comes from 
what I would call dividing what God has joined together. Like, mm-hmm. I think some people think physical reality is the realm of the sciences and the invisible reality is the realm of religion and never the twain shall meet or that uh, what it means to be human is to be an individual. So when you, when you start using the word social, whether it's social justice or social work, um, people think that's outside of the purview of faith. And yet what I hear both of you saying is our goal and as a minister, I will say God's goal is the redemption of all things, the whole person, all creation. And so we're trying to pull together what many people over time have pulled apart for a variety of reasons. Uh, would both of you agree with that? Yeah, I I would. I mean, I would absolutely agree with that. And I think that there there are ways in which we are pulling those two areas back together. Certainly, staying within our um, our areas of competence and our ethics. You know, social work has its code of ethics that it really is very closely paying attention to and making sure that we are constantly operating within those. Um, but I think when we can see what the bigger picture of how these areas are coming together and how when we bring them together, we can do better work to serve those around us. I think that is so important. And it's not just, I mean, the thing that I love about social work is that social workers are doing so many things that we are working with individuals, we are working with families, we're working in mental health and in healthcare settings, in school settings, in congregations and faith communities. We're doing work with policies and with environmental justice. I mean, there's so much that social workers are doing and advocating for and trying to serve um, through these different you know, channels. But I think ultimately what you were saying that, you know, what it is that we're trying to do is bring these areas back together with the focus of serving our clients, serving our communities, serving those families um, to bring a sense of wholeness. Um, you know, integrity is actually one of our core values within social work. And we always talk about it as being truthful and honest, but we also know that the origin of integrity means wholeness. And so there is that piece too, where we pay attention to individuals on a holistic, like from a holistic standpoint, including their bodies, their minds, their social environment, um, and their faith. So, so I see these two as just naturally fitting together, but Kevin, what would you add to that? (laughs) Yeah, I'll give a little bit more of a spiritual, um, lens to that too. Um, like, as a backstory, I just accidentally fell into social work. Um, I felt called to ministry and I knew that I did not want to be um, like a pulpit pastor. Um, and so I thought that would mean that I would go into missions. But then I took Diana Garland's intro to social work class um, and realized that was exactly what God was calling me to. Um, And through the integration of my Master of Divinity and Master of Social Work, just realizing that the story, God's story, through the reading of scripture is for a people, right? It is the breaking down of systems, the overthrowing of um, corrupt forces, 
in order to um, you know, realize this kingdom that is here on earth as it is in heaven. Um, that is the central, you know, that is God's movement, the, the spirit of God moving this world into um, a trajectory of wholeness, like Holly was saying, of integrity, of um, just all these fruits that we read about in scripture. And um, how as social workers, that's also what we're trying to do. We are working not only in the individual lens, but um, on systemic levels. Um, I know a lot of people go into the uh, field of social work thinking that they're wanting to do private practice and be a therapist, counselor, um, but we also have an ethical responsibility to work on a systemic level too, because we know that if we do not change policies, if we do not affect um, the macro level of where our clients are at, that the cycle of poverty or the cycle of hunger, whatever um, unjust structures we have in this world are just going to continue. Um, so I think we can see this bridging, this marriage of social work and the church, because we both want to realize this vision of this peaceable kingdom, um, this place where we can all have that equity and, um, enjoy, um, creation with God. Um, so that's the reason why I have, um, said yes to serving in a church setting. Um, I think there, there's a perfect blend. I wish listeners could see the like ginormous head nods happening on, on zoom right now, uh, in the room. Um, thanks Kevin. Could y'all, could you talk a little bit practically, like how do these two things support each other? What does it look like on the ground? Um, Kevin, what do you actually do? Uh, <laughs> What does your job really look like? Hollywood, does your job look like? And how do they kind of, can you give us the practical, tangible, when church and social work come together, what can happen? Kevin, do you want to go? Yeah, you go first. (laughs) I think that my number one um, job duty is other duties as assigned. Uh, (laughs) And I say that half jokingly, um, but um, yeah, when my work at the church has been um, to walk alongside people experiencing crisis. Um, a lot of people go to the church as their first resource whenever they're in a crisis. Um, there are so many churches in Little Rock, Arkansas, and so many people knock on our doors asking for help um, every single day. And it is my joy to get to um see what the needs are see what strengths the person has um to get to um help partialize their needs and concerns um and help them see a little bit more clearly hopefully in the midst of all the fuzziness that's around them in their time of crisis um but then also i get to participate in really cool um exciting things like advocating um on capitol hill um and getting to take part in um drafting policy 
in conducting listening sessions with the community, seeing what their dreams are for not only their lives, but the lives of their families and their neighbors, um, this downtown neighborhood. Um, and then, of course, um, there's always those um, one-off calls that I get to because, you know, social workers are so versatile and their education is um, so far beyond, right? We get a little bit of everything in, in our education. And so I get to have my hand in a little bit of everything at the church, um, which always keeps the job interesting. <laughs> awesome. Kevin, let me, let me follow up uh, with a quick question. I would imagine in your position, you know, someone with a need is not just a client for you, but it's someone who worships in the same sanctuary you do. And so simply laying eyes on them once a week or every other week, uh, the community that they feel within the church is inherently part of what you do as a social worker, right? Am I, am I off with that? Or do you see some some intrinsic value in your unique role on staff at a church? Yeah, I think what's really cool about working at a church is that there it's a natural community and an organic community, right? People are drawn to the space for one reason or another. It's a place where relationships are being built, friendships are cultivated, um, people are invested in one another, um, not only spiritually, but socially as well. And what I love is that um, the people who I am also seeing who are worshiping here at Second Baptist, there's a natural place for them to fit in and to find relationships. Um, so many of the people that I work with um, are isolated. Every day um, they're, you know, in their rooms of their houses or their high rises, high rises, and um, they don't have people to talk to normally. Um, there's not um, family around them that is super invested in their lives. And, um, and so for them to find family here, to find relationships here is something that is pretty neat to see that people actually enjoy their company and want to um, be around them and want to um, have that deeper connection and relationship. Um, it can also be tricky and murky because um, there is that potential for a dual relationship, right? Um, I'm not only their social worker, I'm also their pastor. Um, I'm not also just their pastor. I'm someone that they worship with on a Sunday. Um, so I believe that boundaries are a good and healthy thing too. It's um, something that I've had to, that I am learning still as someone who is new to um, this church setting. Um, but um, I think that it's really cool to see how I can help people foster human relationship through the context of a church. That's good. I, I'm sitting here listening to Kevin and I'm just like, gosh, I'm so proud of you. It's so cool to see like what you are doing and to hear, you know, how you are um, 
extending out so much of the things that you've learned here, but also in other places and to hear the good work that you're doing, Kevin. It really is, I, it's, I'm just having a little moment. I love seeing the good work you're doing. Oh, thanks, Holly. Yeah, absolutely. Now I'm I'm not um, a church social worker, so the the day to day practical side of things looks quite different for me. Um, but what I will say is, you know, because a lot of the work that that I do had um, originally started, like like as Kevin was talking about, I was one of those people who wanted to go into private practice, like that was my goal. <laughs> um, and and then I I realized that there was this, this area of research that just was not being studied and just really felt that, that deep inner nudge that was like, this is mine to do. I need to do this work. So in terms of, um, for me, it's more around the research and trying to pay attention to the degree to which clients want to talk about their faith when it comes to, um, their mental health treatment, paying attention to, you know, what is it that mental health care providers are saying? And this is through lots of surveys and interviews and such that we do. Um, but then there's also an extension when it comes to the church and social work, where I step into that advocate role and will be speaking with churches or offering consultation on things that they can do or come and talk with um, a group within the church about how do you pay attention to, you know, mental health or how do you get your congregation to um, access mental health care? Like, how do you support your congregation when it comes to accessing mental health care needs? Um, trying to think about innovative ways, like y'all are so fortunate to have a social worker on staff, but as I'm sure each of you know, that sometimes that can be really challenging for faith communities. So thinking about like, how do multiple faith communities come together to hire on a social worker to work among a handful of communities? Or I know um, social workers who will work within the, depending on the size of the, the church or faith community, um, like just providing mental health services, like that's all that they do as a social worker. So it, you know, it really depends, but we see so much within our students, um, and as they go out and graduate, with Kevin being a star example of that, um, as he kind of walks this, you know, this navigation or navigates this intersection. Um, but I really love to be a little bit more behind the scenes and empowering faith communities to think about including social workers and empowering social workers to be thinking about how do you loop in faith communities or faith leaders and, and lean on them as consultants to, to um, refer your clients to or to work with things like that. So, and then I have, as we, we talked about before the recording, but I have this podcast on the intersection of Christianity and mental health called CXMH that is absolutely woven into my day-to-day -day where we interview folks both on the mental health side and um, on the faith community side to be talking about this nuanced area of um, serving their communities at this intersection. Y'all should definitely check out this uh, podcast. We'll link it in the show notes. Um, Thanks, Brittany. I am so excited about things that get talked about in the big picture, but then they also um, happen on the street and in our neighborhoods. And so I'm grateful for the work that you both do in your very unique ways to make sure that those intersections happen. Um, and then I think, Holly, one of the other things that you've done is create a resource for us that help 
so that we don't burn out. Um, and so I think that's a, also a really important intersection of social work and and church is tending to our souls. We come to church to tend to our souls, um, but we we need to do that even more throughout the week. And you've given us a really tangible example. So thank you uh, for your research. Uh, thank you, Kevin, for your work here and for calling all of us to be helpers um, and to see more clearly our neighborhood. Thank you Absolutely. so much. Grateful for your grateful for both of you and the work that you do. Wow, what a really great conversation. Uh, Kevin, we talk all the time, but it's always great to hear uh, deeper um, in your heart for what you do. Makes me even more grateful to be on staff with you. So thanks for sharing and thanks for introducing me to Holly. She's absolutely wonderful. And yeah, isn't she a delight? She's. Uh, I can't wait to be your friend. Yeah, I am super sad that she was never my professor at Baylor, but just seeing all the work that she's done around social work practice and spirituality and the ethical integration between the two. Mm. I am in love with her work. Yeah. So I already have like a thousand questions I want to email and ask now. So um, thank you for the introduction. Hey, y'all, if you are a helper or if you ever find that moment when you wonder if you are go, go, going too hard or feel like you might be close to burnout or even if none of those things are true, you should still check out her book, The Soul of the Helper. Totally worth a read. Absolutely. Yeah. So to end this podcast today, I want to read a portion of Holly's book um, as a benediction um, for all helpers. We're all helpers in one way or another. So may this be a blessing to all of us. Wake up. I made you child. I created you and I love you. You don't need to do anything for that love. It's here. I cannot love you anymore. I cannot love you any less. I love you as you are. May we love others in the same way, living into this call to love our neighbors as ourselves. May it be so. Namaste. As you go, go and love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Do so as if it's the most important thing in all the world, because it is. Thank you for listening to Because It Is. These are just some of the things that matter to us at Second Baptist Church downtown. If you enjoyed this conversation, please visit us online at 2bclr.com. That's the number two, bclr.com. And like us on Facebook. This podcast was produced by Brittany Stilwell and edited by Randy Schoenig with Fresh Air Media.